We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Hello. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Report Live. We are here with Dave Cabin, the uh, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. He's also the co host of the flagship podcast with Curtis Patrick. I'm Blair Andrews, as always, Hassan Rahim. How's it going, Dave? Doing well. You know, always great to get that first action in on a nice Sunday, but it's even more important for me to come and talk to you two. Fantastic folks here on a, on a Sunday night. I, I look forward to it every year. So I'm just glad that we got things kicked off. I already had some great action to recap and some interesting storylines too that I think we'll get to here. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of a week one tradition, I think, to have you on to go through this through this news. So you better to do it live. <laughs> Absolutely. Terry um, in a row, folks. There you go. <laughs> so um yeah, I mean, the only big injury news that I think we really want to talk about probably is Ryan Fitzpatrick, who left the game with a hip injury. Um, do you feel confident in this Washington offense with <laughs> Taylor Heineke? I mean, from what I think you could glean today, um, I thought it was operating <laughs> perfectly fine. Uh, you know, I mean, Fitzpatrick, there's going to be up and downs, right? I think what was it? Heineke went 11 to 15. I, I honestly didn't see too much of this, but from what the box score is telling me and the clips that came through in red zone, I think it seems okay. Uh, you know, Terry McLaurin had that ridiculous catch type of things. I think he's going to still continue to do. I think when Curtis Samuel gets back, that's going to help everybody out. Logan Thomas, uh, you know, should be fine. Had a touchdown early on in the game, I believe. Um, but I, 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 you know, I think it would be easy to overreact to this, but uh, you know, in my opinion, I'm not letting this change my opinion of the team too much. Yeah. The offense is pretty good. It's also kind of a thin target distribution. Like right at the top there, you got Terry McLaurin, like you were saying, Antonio Gibson saw five targets today, which I think, which is a really, really cool, really interesting look for his outlook. Um, Logan Thomas got a handful as well. Uh, I'm actually, kind of surprised to see Diami he got four targets um which is pretty impressive um i mean adam humphrey only saw two and he got both of those 
I think I think Dele Heineke or Heineke or however you want to pronounce it can actually play. So we shouldn't be too surprised about this. Like, I think he's a pretty good backup quarterback as far as backup quarterbacks go. Um, I'm with you, Dave. I'm not really dinging this uh, offense all that much. But on the other side of the ball, though, with the Chargers, um, so Justin Jackson might not be it, guys. It looks like it might be Larry Roundtree season. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, this is one I probably have to admit I, I did not see coming. Uh, you know, we got to make the caveat that it is week one, but uh, it still was pretty, um, pretty surprising to see that. Uh, Blair, I'm just going to kick this one back to you because I don't know if I really have much more to say than that. But, uh, you know, perhaps you're the man with the plan on this one. <laughs> I don't have an opinion on Chargers running backs who aren't Austin Eckler, really. Um, right. This whole game was kind of weird because you have Heineke come into the game. Washington is, I mean, they end up losing the game, but they still only let Heineke attempt 15 passes. So, I mean, you know, pretty slow-paced game for Washington. Um, Yeah, a little bit weird. I don't know if that's because they don't fully trust Heineke to, uh, you know, to really throw the ball. Um, but yeah, it was, it was encouraging, I guess, to see Tayami Brown have as many targets as McLaurin, even if he couldn't really do anything with them. Um, is, I know you're, well, I'm a big fan of Tayami Brown. Uh, <laughs> is his performance today enough to get me uh, a little bit worried? I don't think the performance today should, should get you worried, given the fact that uh, first game, in the NFL, there was the change at quarterback, which creates kind of an odd situation. And I think that you could also kind of spin this um, as, you know, the fact that he actually got involved, granted one reception for negative two yards as um, a pro, just because he's already finding his way in getting used. Um, Of course, that's probably the weakest argument one could come up with, but, you know, (laughs) my point is being, to me, that is not the type of thing that gets you to panic. Um, you know, if this was a player that was drafted in the first round um, and, you know, we saw this type of line a la Jamar Chase, then I might start to worry. But, um, you know, I think in this case, no need to panic. we got some good comments going here in the chat. Recif says that we probably don't expect the Chargers' RB passing usage to be sticky. Roundtree is interesting. Yeah, th- uh, I actually do agree here, if only because... I don't think any of their pa- like uh, running running backs saw a target today, and that includes Austin Eckler, right? Um, I mean, it's only it's only week one, so it's hard to over overreact. You, you really don't want to like um, lose sight of our priors here. But um, thirteen targets for Keenan Allen and twelve from Mike Williams is just ridiculous, man. Like Justin Herbert's for real, right? Like he's just so so good, man. Like he's he's really really good, and he's really fun to watch too. So can we Man. hold on? I'm sorry. We got to do this here quickly. Blair, you might even know where I'm going with this. I got to derail this for a second. Can we talk about my man, Jared Cook? Eight oh, targets. Yeah. I was five just about to ask. Uh, 56 yeah. yards. Week is not done, but I think that could get him into the wide receiver one. Or Sorry, that, that would be really nice. But the tight end <laughs> one conversation. Uh, as prophesized numerous times throughout the summer. So I was pretty pumped about that. That is what the area of the uh, of the uh, Chargers I'm focusing on. That would be pretty interesting. He's currently, let's see, um, we got this guy, Pharaoh Brown O'Shaughnessy. He's probably like the tight end nine or something, tight end 10, okay. right? All right. Um, 
So, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, you still got Mark Andrews to play. Still got Darren Waller. So it's probably going to be. Yeah, that's true. Pretty tough. But uh, yeah, Matt, to hit, hit on one of the comments. Um, yeah, Justin Jackson was the only running back. It looks like for the Chargers to see a target. It's yeah. interesting, of course, you know, because we only have this one game now with the new coaching staff. But I would have to imagine that we start to see those type of numbers go up. I mean, when you guys figure uh, I mean, it's hard to tell with like how good they were throwing the ball down the field, right? Like, yeah. And I guess this was more of a like uh, a little bit of a closely contested game, um, at least than than what the box score is implying here, right? So you probably expect to see maybe in positive strip, you expect to see a little bit more for Eckler in terms of like targets. Um, I will say though that this should be a DeAndre Swift only conversation uh, like for like speaking about like rb targets i mean he's right man swift swift led the uh led the detroit lions in 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 uh, targets he had 11 um hawkinson had 10 jamal williams had nine like that's that's ridiculous like that's like like i i i don't know what to say man like um i'm sorry to go f- just switch gears completely from team to team but it does kind of lead us a little bit nice into our next news item about Brandon Ayuk, who wasn't targeted in the Niners' week one win over the Lions. Um, Trent Sherfield, he started opposite Debo Samuel and he caught a five-yard TD from Trey Lance in the first quarter. Right. So I guess my question for you guys is like, what are you doing with Ayuk? Can you even start him next next week? Well, it's really bizarre. Um, it looks to me like this has to be one of those that doesn't actually have to do with his level of talent or how the team perceives him. There has to be something going on here that's outside of his on-field play. So at this point, if we come to find that it was either some weird injury type of thing going on or some type of discipline from the coaching staff for you know how he behaved at camp or his attendance at camp or anything like that, then I'm not going to have any concern uh, you know, if it's, if it's an injury that could linger, then that kind of changes the conversation. But I, I have to say that there's probably in my mind about a zero percent chance that had, this had to do anything with his on-field ability. Blair, it looks like you're in agreement there. Yeah, I am. I mean, I read this uh, quote from Shanahan off air about how he got reduced playing time because he missed um, he missed practices with a hamstring injury earlier. So. Uh, it sounded like it's not because of the hamstring injury directly. It's because he wasn't, he didn't practice as much as the other guys. So, you know, you can kind of read into that. Like, is he still dealing with a hamstring injury? Is this just a one week thing or are we, uh, you know, should we be worried for the next, you know, for the near future too? Um, I mean, like you said, I don't think that there's any, any concern long-term. Here, yeah. In so far as he's kind of, you know, dealt with injuries throughout his career, right? You know, also if there was a game that you weren't going to really need to have your wide receiver core at full strength, uh, this is a perfect opportunity if you try to wanted to make a statement on you know limiting Ayuk's usage if it was a disciplinary type of thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, we're not the only ones kind of surprised or blindsided by this because you've got the Mercury News here who are. Um, a beat reporter located out in uh, San Francisco whose um, <laughs> title says, where the heck were Ayuk Sermon, right? Like, and um, wide receiver Brandon Ayuk barely had a role and Trey uh, Trey Sermon had none, right? And th- these were the coaching decisions. It's interesting, I guess, if only because th- like there was no indication on the injury report about Ayuk at all. 
so it seems like Coach Shanahan's out here. A little bit of shenanigans going on against uh, it needed to win against the, um, the Lions of all teams. But I was interested about, you know, learning that uh, Trey Sermon, of all people, had basically fallen down the depth chart. He's on the scout team now. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> yeah. He, uh, Elijah Mitchell, the other rookie running back, the one that didn't trade yeah. up for, he was uh, he going yangbusters out there. I know. I saw I have him on the stashed on the bench of my Scott Fishbowl team. So that was that was a nice uh, surprise to see him out there. Yeah, actually, um, I, I saw a 49ers highlight little message pop up on my Sunday ticket, and it was like Mitchell scores touchdown, and I was like, "Wait, I have to, I have to backtrack here." Like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's a real shocker, um, especially when we look at where Sermon was going in drafts. There's going to be a lot of disappointed fantasy managers off the gate here. I mean, in some of the main events we were doing, I think I saw him starting to go in like round six for a lot of teams. He was hoping to be its anchor, especially, you know, our listeners, those zero running back teams, a lot of teams were hoping to have Trey Sermon to rely on. I actually had some teams where I was hoping it was going to be Trey Sermon and Zach Moss as my backfield. Zach (laughs) Moss in after today as well. So we saw a lot of things unexpected as we always do to start the season. Uh, But yeah, the Sermon one, it is interesting what's going on in San Francisco. Yeah. So how much do you... How much stock do you put into these early healthy scratches? Like if Sermon and Moss are both not starting the season, even though they're apparently healthy, you know, what does that tell you for their outlook going forward? Well, it's a little bit different in the case of Moss because we have the track record of actually having him see, having seen him in the NFL. We got to see how he might coexist in that ecosystem that they have there. Once Moss is back in the lineup, I think I'm fine with it. Um, Sermon, on the other hand, if there is a bit of a lag before we see him, then you're going to be in a really tough spot because he could be clogging up that roster spot for you. Of course, you spent that high draft pick on him for the type of player that you thought that he could emerge to be. Um, With the rookie, I'm a little bit more concerned uh, because Moss, yeah, they have Matt Breida there. They have Devin Singletary, but he did not look like the type of player that you wouldn't have suiting up. Um, and I think that there's been points in the past where you could say he looked like the more preferable running back for the team and, you know, certain situations. So I think it's kind of player specific and a lot of it really is dependent on the reason. It's hard to comment on Sermon without knowing the root cause of why he was out. Um, well, yeah. So what, what I do actually find kind of interesting, though, just to go back to your point is about at least with like Moss and as with Ayuk, like we have like two very clear um situations where they both picked up hamstring injuries late in camp mm-hmm. and they both kind of faced kind of well i guess the bills may have uh over like underestimated the sealers and and the lions i mean and, and the niners knew that they didn't really necessarily need to steal off much against the lions i guess but um they probably figured they could do it without you know Ayuk and uh, moss i mean the bills especially for like i just wanted to shift gears up here Allen threw the ball like 51 times, right? D- Dig saw 14 targets. Why is Cole Beasley seeing 13? Because <laughs> um, Cole Beasley is the type of player that, uh, you know, teams just love to use in situations where it's easy to get him targets. I mean, I think that's really what it comes down to. I take your point. Um, but, you know, sometimes we just see teams continue to use the scheme that's been there. I guess things worked out pretty well for the Bills in the past. You know, why, why I try to fix what isn't broken, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like I, I would, I really want to see more Gabriel Davis targets because I really, I really do like him. Me I too. think he, he, like he opens up the adds a new dimension to that offense. Um, Colby is kind of not, not really there. And the same with like Manny Sanders saw eight, right? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like we talk about this team as being a, a heavy passing team, and they obviously have digs, but outside of Davis, I think a lot of their weapons, you know, we kind of are questioning their their talent level. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It is interesting that they that they're not using these running backs we like a little bit more, a little bit more creatively. I mean, Singletary had five targets, but he only ended up with eight yards. Um, you know, those those targets, I don't know if they would be better going to Singletary than Beasley, but uh Seems like they could they could distribute them more efficiently, perhaps. I uh, guess one thing to just loop up, uh, or at least loop back to the original sermon conversation, is uh, a little bit about Raheem Mostert. He exited uh, week one. I forgot that this happened that he left with uh, with a week one uh, knee injury. I guess the canary in the coal mine here, guys, would be if um, Sermon's active next week, right? Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be something. I mean, it seems like Shanahan is the sort of coach who just kind of uses the hot hand at running back. So as long as Elijah Mitchell is, you know, breaking off long runs and racking up 100 yards, he might be the guy. Um, it's, you know, hard to tell. We've seen him use Jeff Wilson with a lot of success and guys like this. Michael Hasty scored a touchdown yeah. today. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't feel confident starting sermon, even if he is healthy necessarily, you know? So I I guess a question off of that is if you're looking to go for a 49ers running back on the waiver wire, you're in a league where Mitchell to Michael hasty are available. Should you be aggressively going after them? Do we think that we're at a point where that already starts to make some sense? Or, you know, if we're looking at this from a free agent auction bidding perspective, is it prudent right now to not go after them and save it for the for a more clear situation, given that it was unclear what this backfield was going to look like to begin with? And now there's already two guys coming off the waiver wire that look like <laughs> options after just one game. What do you think? I think you definitely have to go after at least Mitchell. Um, he looked really good. He carried the ball, I want to say, like almost 20 times. Um and he was, you know, he wasn't like one of our favorite prospects, but he had an interesting profile, uh, a guy with some athleticism. Um, so, yeah, he's somebody who I think is interesting anyway. Uh, it's hard to say how much I would spend on him, but I would expect that some team is going to bid like at least 10 or 15%, maybe more. Yeah, th- that that feels about right. And, and I think that you're right. I mean, to you know, 19 rushes today, um, if you're just looking at the fact that the team was willing to give him that many in this first situation where they needed to call someone up, I think that that really points out the fact that he is the guy you should be going after. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, speaking of uh, really good rookies that we like, I want to shift gears a little bit to uh, one of our favorite rookie wide receivers, Jamar Chase, who ended up with a 100-yard game and a touchdown. Um, I mean, is this like we're all in on Chase now, dynasty wide receiver one overall? (laughs) Um, I think that you could make a case, you know, for a couple other receivers, but this was awesome from Chase. Uh, to be able to see him already fill in that role of what we thought he could be. I thought it was huge that he gets that touchdown in the first game just for uh, what that does to people's confidence in him as fantasy managers. But one of the things that we talked about, Blair, when we were thinking about setting our lineups this week was it did seem extremely likely that Chase was going to become a part of this game plan. That came to manifest You know, people were worried about his performance in the preseason. He should have quelled those questions. We saw him looking good. Obviously, it helps he's played with Joe Burrow. You know, the announcers are going to talk about that when he hits him on that pass down the field. But I thought that the whole offense looked good. That game they gave Minnesota was encouraging. So there's just so many more reasons to still feel great about Jamar Chase, especially now that he's confirmed our priors of him already being a very competent wide receiver in the NFL. You could push back and say, well, yeah, it was just one game. But there's enough of a body of, of evidence prior to and now just confirmed in this game that I feel really good. Yeah, that's a very good point uh, that you made there, David. I wanted to mention, um, for those of you who are listening to this, um, Recef mentions that Mixon getting 29 runs is a bit scary for Jace Higgins' boy dreams. Um it definitely is because it will pro- it will definitely keep them from getting there. But also very scary is uh, the fact that Higgins uh, had to be carted off the field for a little bit. Seems like uh, it was a, it was an IV issue. Um, he needed to get intravenous fluids, I guess. 
Someone confirm that? Yeah, I don't. I uh, I didn't see that. I don't know exactly what what was going on with that. But um, yeah, he was carted off for a brief moment to receive an IV, and he returned shortly after. But okay. he was kind of like on the sidelines for the rest from for most of it. It was dehydration. Yeah, and that was. I mean, when I saw him being carted off, and and everyone saw him being carted off, like I was really concerned, if only because. Um, He's someone who, you know, we, we're all really heavily invested in and we want to see him smash. But, um, you know, sort of as Rasif mentioned earlier, this, this, this mix in usage, not great. Uh, you know, not great, not great for this uh, passing offense. Yeah, yeah that's you, a... Oh, go ahead, Blair. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say that's a, a legitimate question. And, I mean, part of it, I think, has to do with uh, the fact that Minnesota didn't come out looking great to start the game. Burrow only ended up throwing 27 passes. Um, it might be somewhat script related, but I mean, still you didn't see Boyd have a great game. Higgins had to be out of the game for chase to really explode. Maybe I don't want to say that's definitely the case, but certainly a concern. So yeah. What are you thinking, Dave? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, it, it, it is surprising that you're looking at these three wide receivers and between them you have uh, under 20 targets. That is not something I would have expected. So seven for Chase, five for Higgins. Of course, maybe if Higgins had been available for more of the game, his numbers would have gone up. And then just four for Tyler Boyd. The encouraging thing, though, is they all were able to do something with those targets. Uh, Chase obviously had the 50-yard touchdown. Higgins caught a pass that went for 28 yards. Boyd caught an 18-yarder. Um, would have liked to have seen maybe another touchdown. Well, actually, sorry, sorry I take that back because you had both Chase and Higgins scoring a touchdown. Uh, so this is one of those games where, though there not are there might not have been as many fireworks as you could have hoped for. Um, I don't think that it's going to be representative of the entire season. It was cool to see Burrow be able to distribute it around and not just rely entirely on one of them. Um, so you know, like final thoughts on them are if you were excited about Cincinnati, I don't think that there's any reason you need to get off of that. Uh, you know, you can't be concerned obviously though, about the Higgins injury potential. Yeah. I, I think one of the other things that, um, that I found kind of fascinating from this game is, um, you know, we all saw, we also Jamar chase struggled quite a bit in the preseason with drops do either of you guys want to talk about uh, drops just being a predictor of usage and nothing else or am i you guys want me to take the floor there oh, go for it. <laughs> i want to hear i want to hear I this here because i went through this last night i had to have a long <laughs> conversation with my brother um who was complaining about some wide receiver he has that he doesn't like oh he's talking about seating lamb and the drops and then i i went down this rabbit hole already so let's hear it so <laughs> Yeah, so this goes back to like a really what one of my favorite old articles on Rotoviz is, is if uh, is uh, Will Fuller drops the ball and I don't care, and where where, where Charles Steinhex really digs into drops not mattering, right? Um, like 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 one of the things about drops is every time like a wide receiver like will drop a ball like for the most part like it's just an indicator of usage. You want to see star wide receivers be targeted whether they cash in the ball or not is kind of irrelevant because i guess some of it comes down to how you're charting those drops and what constitutes a drop there's no there's no one 
um, scientific definition for what constitutes a drop, right? Like if you're if a wide receiver is able to make a really difficult move on a football and get their hands to it, and then they, they kind of the ball clangs off their hands, it that's charted as a drop. Whereas you know a lesser wide receiver wouldn't necessarily be in the position to even make that play. So you know you've got these ultra talented guys who also tend to have a lot of drops, if only because they're they're very talented and they're able to get their their body to the ball in uh, situations where most of the other uh, guys who are not as talented as them would not be able to do so. It's it's like these guys, it's like the real life version of those training camp highlights that they're playing in without pads. So, you know, like, yeah, like it's not a surprise that Jamar Chase was, uh, you know, like was going to drop the ball. All they meant was, was Barrow was going to target him. And I'm really happy that a lot of people kind of faded that. They bought the dip on Chase and um, they were aggressive on it. And quite frankly, I'm really hoping that the people who've kept the faith and were willing to go to go that far get rewarded for for believing. Because I'm very, very excited for him. Yeah, for yeah, sure. You know, the, the other point there, too, and you talked about, like, being able to get themselves in the position to make, them, make the play. But, you know, it also goes back to the concept of, you're putting yourself in situations either where you can get a target to drop the ball or the quarterback has enough confidence in you that they're going to throw it to you in situations where it seems like a catch isn't likely, but or, or maybe not where it's not likely, but they'll throw it to you in difficult situations in comparison to other players that they have. So, you know, like I think a great example of this was Julian Edelman around New England is viewed as a player that had a lot of drops, but it's like, yeah, because Brady trusted him more than any other wide receiver the team had at the time. So he was always throwing, you know, using him kind of as a security blanket or when something wasn't there, we're just trying to find Edelman. Uh, so it all ties back to the drops generally being a, a byproduct of just high volume and talent actually, which is counterintuitive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I haven't looked into this specifically, but I feel like I remember reading something about, drop rate like the number of drops per target and how that is not a predictive stat at all i don't know if you've if you've dug into that at all dave but um that you know you have so few drops anyway that it would be hard to see it being predictive right well this was one of the other things i I was talking about one time with somebody i was like all right well if you look at a receiver that has a hundred targets, even if they drop the ball like 10 times on, you know, like 10 times somebody threw the number. I'm like, you know, does that really change? Especially from a fantasy perspective, that shouldn't really change mm-hmm. the way that you view a player at all. Um, and then even from like the, the real life perspective, um, it doesn't really seem like drops tend to get players benched the way that people might think. I don't, I haven't looked at this recently, but this, that was one of the takeaways um, from looking at these numbers a while back was if you looked at stretches of a season where a player had high drop numbers, did their targets start to go down? And, you know, that didn't really tend to be the case. Yeah, and just wanted to flip over to the Minnesota side of the ball for a little bit. Like, so KJ Osborne saw nine targets. Um, so what are you guys doing with him on waivers? Is he like a priority target for you guys? Like what's going on here? Yeah, I probably am not going to go after him. But, I mean, part of that is because, like, I don't need wide receivers on almost any of my teams. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, if you're really wide receiver needy, uh, 
I don't really think this is a trend. If I if I had to guess, I I would expect his targets to come down. Um, one of those targets came from Justin Jefferson, actually, uh, completed pass that was um, kind of nice. So uh, I don't think I would be going really aggressively after Osborne. I mean, what are, do you guys have a different take? No, I don't. Um, I thought that one of the interesting things here is the tight ends, at least those of the guys that I was paying attention to for them in uh, Conklin and Smith, or sorry, Conklin and Herman only saw a total of six targets. Maybe once this offense starts operating a little bit more, we see some of those targets that got spread around a little bit more in, in this game going to those tight ends once they've had a little bit more of a chance to work them in. Um, as I would imagine that the team had been expecting, you know, like, a couple months ago that they'd be using Irv Smith a lot more. So maybe they find ways to work these guys in, but that doesn't feel like something that would continue. I mean, how many players are going to see target volume like that? Then you have a guy like Adam Thielen that has proven for them time and time again, they can rely on them. And obviously you have Justin Jefferson, who I have to imagine you prefer getting the ball in his hands. Yeah, I think I think KJ Osborne is is only if you play in like very sickle leagues, like sixteen team type 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 leagues. Like you really want KJ Osborne. I actually think I've rostered him in the only sixteen team league that I play in. So um, I, I guess I'm very biased when I give that that little bit of advice. Um, I didn't start him, by the way. I, I think I made a <laughs> lot of mistakes when it came down to just sit start decisions um, uh, that really have. I, I let me just I, I wasn't going to win the games anyway but they would have looked a little bit closer so I could have felt a little bit better but yeah. um but yeah uh the other interesting note here like kind of going back to what you're saying about the tight ends Tyler Conklin had like the caught all four of his four targets like, is he viable like as a flyer in FFPC I mean the other thing about this game is that Kirk Cousins threw the ball 49 times so you know, you would see Osborne with nine targets, Thielen at 10, Jefferson at 10. I mean, in terms of like target share, Conklin was pretty insignificant. So when you see Minnesota get back down to what you would expect them to have in a normal game, like 35 or something, I think um, Conklin is not going to be usable even in a tight end premium league. Um, but I mean, yeah, the question is whether whether these shares hold up or whether someone like Osborne just sees all of his targets fall off in a game that uh, Minnesota doesn't have to throw as much in. I think that's a, you know, there are a lot of ways you can see that playing out. So if, you know, Conklin might catch a touchdown every now and then, but when are you going to feel confident starting him, I guess is the question. Yeah. It kind of feels like a play that you would make only if you're kind of in dire straits at the position, just because uh, there's probably other gaps or holes in your roster that other players made their presence felt today that you considered using those spots on. Uh, and Blair, I think you make a really good point too about how looking at the overall target volume in a given week can maybe not tell the whole story because Minnesota might be a team that continues to pass a lot, but it's probably more likely that they're not in a super high pass volume. And once that dips, um, you know, those, it, it's going to be hard for Conklin to stay at high numbers. And as it was, it's not like, you know, he saw 10 targets today, right? It was only four. So I, I, I like that point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I own Justin Jefferson on a ton of my teams and he had nine targets, but really was kind of a disappointment in terms of like his actual fantasy output. Um, I guess, how worried are you that 
if you're a Jefferson owner, that these other guys are being worked in like at all. Um, if you see Minnesota's target volume drop, are you worried that uh, that Jefferson is down in like the six to seven target range? <laughs> I am going to go with no on that. Uh, and the reason for that is, is we felt like Justin Jefferson was a pretty darn good prospect coming out of school. First year in the NFL, you look at his rookie season, stacks up extremely well against any other rookie wide receiver season that you're going to see. And that season did not come purely out of the context of the offense that he was in. I think he showed that he really is a very tremendous wide receiver in the league. So if you're still of the belief, which I'd imagine most of us at Rotoviz are, that he is a great receiver, you really shouldn't let that change your opinion for two reasons. One, if he is that good, Minnesota is likely to know it, given what they saw last year. So they would be, in, you know, they'd have that incentive to keep the ball in his hands. The other reason is, if he is as good as we think he is, he probably could get by even with a dip in volume. Now, maybe he's not going to finish as the wide receiver one with that, but I don't think that it would be impactful enough that you'd have to start to really change your view on him being in that wide receiver one wide receiver two conversation, probably leaning still more towards that wide receiver one. The other thing is too, it's not like we're going to see Adam Thielen score all the touchdowns every game, terrific game for Thielen today, but that's going to wax and wane back between him and Jefferson. It's not going to be Thielen every game. Yeah. Um, Tough start for those of us who have uh, faded uh, Adam Thielen everywhere. <laughs> who faded? Who faded? Um, um, yeah, Andrew. Andrew makes a good point. This is the same team that tried to do it. Okay, that is a good point. Yeah, that's that um, is a good point. Uh, yeah, no, it's just it, it's been a bit of a tough start because like I've been, I think I have very very little uh, Mixon, very little uh, Thielen, probably no Thielen actually. Um, like just just very little of a lot of these guys who are doing. Dude had a really good week one, and um, it's it's, it's a little concerning. Um, I, I was gonna say the one guy who I do tend to have, who I do have a lot. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, David Montgomery just scored uh, just scored a touchdown on Monday <laughs> on on Sunday Night Football, and um, that is another guy. I think I have like zero percent of him across like all my basketball teams, and that's that's a lot of basketball teams, guys. Um, so on, one guy, on. what are you doing? You got to make sure you get a little David Montgomery in the mix. No, sometimes you just go like full fade, like ah, 200, 200 teams. I'm not drafting this guy in any way. Oh my gosh, I think I think I just like did that this year. Like, I was like just full fading a whole bunch of guys. Um, but uh, the one guy I didn't full fade at all was uh, Jonathan Taylor, and he. And this guy, he carried the ball 17 times, put up 56 yards. But uh, him and Naheem Hines, huh? So he 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 got like six of his seven targets for 60 yards. And then Naeem Hines got six of his eight targets for 48 yards. Man, these guys, like, uh, so what's going on with the Colts? Like, they out-targeted, like, their running backs out-targeted their wide receivers. Not a recipe for success. Yeah, but, I mean, if you look at their wide receiver group, it's also not at all a surprise, right? <laughs> Well, no, yeah, it, it, it isn't, you know, and Blair, this was when we were drafting, uh, we were talking about like the odd ways in which this team made some decisions last year. Uh, so yeah. this really isn't too surprising that they're continuing to do it, but I guess we do have to open up the conversation, which is something I never thought I would have been saying two years ago, but do the Colts have the best duo of pass catching backs in the league? 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, probably true. not. It's probably just based upon the way that they're choosing to use them. But to take this back to something that is fantasy relevant, I actually have a dynasty team where I have had to use Taylor and Hines together to fill my running back spots. That happened purely coincidentally. But yeah. in a redraft league this season, do you actually think it's viable that we get enough production out of both of these guys on a weekly basis, given that high target volume that we can start both of them? I think that on a redraft team, you definitely could. I mean, we've seen they're going to be, they were the most targeted players on the team today. They might be in the future. I think, um, you know, it's a different thing if you're talking about maybe trying to play them both in a DFS lineup. But um, if you're, if you are in a, if your running backs are bad enough that you need to start Heinz, then uh, I think you can feel confident starting him and Taylor. Yeah, I actually do too. I think that with the way that we've seen him put together solid performances last year and what it looks like the team is going to have to do with the way they deploy these backs this year, uh, Hines is actually in that flex conversation for a zero running back team like most of our listeners would have. He actually is probably a decent option in your uh, RB2 spot. Yeah, so uh, I'm actually in the pro. I'm just checking one of my one of my redraft leagues. I'm getting completely. I'm losing by a hundred points, right? So just just getting just getting waxed. All right, oh, uh, man. My uh, my quarterbacks Ryan Fitzpatrick. My running backs that started this week were AJ Dillon and Rojo. My wide receivers are AJ Brown, Diggs, Higgins, Lamb, Moore, Dogan Thomas, right? So, but like my bench, like I had Hines going off on my bench and David Johnson going off on my bench. Um, so that's, that's really weird, but what's, what's actually weirder to me, at least if you're looking at, if, if anyone's interested in like this, in like the looking into the pit of despair with me, it's, uh, the, the Jags losing to the Texans. They didn't just lose. They got thrashed. Like, like I, I'm talking like picked up and thrashed and Mark Ingram without looking, just don't look, guess how many carries he had. Just give me a ballpark guess. I already ah. looked well, you, you say Dave. I was. I actually have seen it, but earlier in the day, I would have guessed that we would have seen Mark Ingram with like 15 carries, and I think he added like 11 more onto that, which is insane. Yeah. Yep. He yeah. had 26 carries for 85 yards. <laughs> Guys, what are we doing with this running back? Like, what are we doing with the Texans? Someone guide me here because there's like opportunity to be had. Yeah, there certainly is. So I think that the way you would have to play this is at the current time given the rushing volume that we saw go to Ingram, he feels to me like the safest option. Um, I still, though, would be hesitant about expecting too much from the offense as a whole in, in giving these bats points, right? Like, there's a very good chance that the Jaguars are just an absolute mess of a team this year. Um, so this might not be a good game to extrapolate for the reason that it's one game. It's the first game of the season could be the worst team in the league at the end of the year that they're facing. Um, and it's going to be the, the script that you saw in this game is not one that is likely to repeat very often for this team. So I would prioritize Ingram on the top of the list. And at the current point in time, while it's enticing, I might stay away from the other two, uh, but definitely feel free to disagree with me there. Well, I mean, the only thing about Ingram is that like, no surprise. He rushed 26 times for 85 yards. So that's like right. barely over three yards a carry. And uh, it was David Johnson who was getting the targets. I mean, he only had four of them, but still uh, more than more than any of the other backs. And um, he did catch a touchdown. So 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to. I don't want any piece of this backfield at the moment. Right. Obviously, I, I, oops, I agree None with you on that. None of these guys, but... right? None of them are winning your league. Yeah, like, right. Even if for some reason, if you feel like that, and I, I would say there's the chance that one of these guys emerges as a league winner. What do we put it under? I mean, it's such a low probability to begin with that any back you're grabbing. Well, I don't know. Now I'm getting. Sometimes it's hard to make up. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to make up stats. But I think you guys understand my point, right? Yeah. I I mean, the question is like if David Johnson is going to be the pass catching back here and, you know, given that they're throwing five targets to Pharaoh Brown at tight end, like maybe some of those targets go, go David Johnson's way in the future. And he ends up being the most valuable back here, even without the rushing work. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I'm weighing on this for us. Now I was just going to say that there's like, right now there's no real um, value, right? Like it just doesn't feel like, yeah, like, I, I think Recif is right. And that you can, you can probably swat start David Johnson. Like, I think that this, this group, this like grouping of, of RBs is just not, I don't know, man. Like it's, it, it feels like it's too clustered right now for us. And like, we're not into the bye weeks. Like we are going to see this sort of stuff tail off. Um, you're going to see changes being made, I guess. It's like down the line. Um, and they all kind of cost literally nothing. So if you did draft them, I would kind of not really treat any of them as, 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 as waiver candidates just yet. Like yeah. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be wavering them away as priority candidates. Um, they, because they were all so cheap to acquire. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like they're like, I think I'm a little bit more concerned, um, uh, about you know, I mean, Trevor Lawrence threw the ball fifty-one times, but I'm 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 far more concerned about James Robinson here because he really didn't see anywhere close to a rush area that he used to. Um, Carlos Hyde somehow overtook him. I I really don't know. Like it, it is kind of upsetting just to see like Urban Meyer sort of pull a full Urban Meyer, like the stuff that we were really afraid of. Yeah, and like um, it was all kind of narrative driven. Um, tongue-in-cheek type takes stuff and now it's actually impacting games and fantasy performances you know it's it's uh i mean james robinson still out-targeted carlos hyde but it's like pretty pretty worrisome with with you know especially given all the optimism around this team yeah it really is um this is another one of those cases where a lot of fears are getting confirmed and i think that it would be easy to say that it's one game but uh, these are the type of things that Urban Meyer has done in the past. He's kind of indicated that he wants to do some strange things. And we got to remember, he has no allegiance in any way to James Robinson, specifically brought in Carlos Hyde. It looks like if there's a coach that wants to build around his guys, uh, he's one that's going to do it. So this was not a great thing to see. And the other thing here is this was against the Texans. What happens when this team starts playing some higher level competition they really can't rush that much. We could be looking at a situation where it's hard for James Robinson to get to 10, 12 rushes a game, which is definitely not going to cut it. Yeah, for sure. I think it's encouraging that he did get the six targets. Um, but I mean, you know, with Lawrence throwing the ball 51 times, you kind of don't expect that number to keep up. Yeah. And he wasn't even that, he wasn't even that good. Like he only caught half of them. Um, I can't remember. I don't think that was something he was especially good at in college. I think he, he did it a little, um, but 
I don't know if that's necessarily his his profile, um, but it's yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you would kind of rather give Carlos Hyde a lot of the kind of between the twenty twenties carries and let James Robinson get more high value work. But I don't know that you know. I, I don't think we're gonna be able to expect that. So, yeah, definitely concerning that. Uh, not only was he overtaken by Hyde, but also this offense looks like it could still be pretty bad. Yeah. So one interesting thing here, I want to get your guys take on uh, DJ Chark, 12 targets, only caught three of them ends up with 86 yards and a touchdown. We also saw Marvin Jones with a touchdown had nine reps, uh, LaVisca Schnapp Jr. Or, sorry, nine targets for Marvin Jones. Also nine targets for the Visca Chenault. Uh, so these were, you know, a trio of wide receivers. I think people weren't sure how it was going to shake out. Um, Shark with the most targets. Are we at all concerned about him only turning three of those into receptions? Because um, I think that it's going to be a little bit difficult for owners to know what to do with these receivers rolling forward. And somebody might look at that and be kind of concerned. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I look at his yards per reception, though. It's like 30. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, he's just like, like, like I, I didn't, I didn't watch this game. And so if anyone, if anyone did, please correct me. Um, but it's just like all these like very long, deep targets that he was getting at some point, he's going to convert these. And he's going to like, if he's going to keep having these types of like, that's the role they're going to use him in. If he catches like what, like 50%, 60%, he's going to put up like a Debo Samuel esque, like yeah. six targets, 195 yards or whatever, and a score, right? And then that's like, oh, this is a weak winner. Um, the, 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 the biggest issue really with, with um, Jarek was how much disrespect he got towards the end of it. So I think, I think the, the um, concern is trying to overcome teams who have like Chark is a wide receiver six or something in, in, um, in basketball leagues, especially because yeah. you get, because you get those like first few layers of like wide receivers completely gone. Then it's a race to like DJ Chark. And then it's a huge fall from there. Like, yeah. um, can you tell I miss uh, drafting season yet? Like I'm just still talking <laughs> about the good days. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I actually think, though, um, the thing that people would be should be focusing on here, like you said, is the actual amount of yardage he was able to convert on those three receptions and then, you know, the 12 targets leading the team in targets there by a decent margin. Um, so I actually personally feel better about him. Um, I'm not sure if other people would have a different read on this, but even in the confines of the fact that the Jaguars might struggle, I feel I feel fine about him moving forward. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. kind of excited. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be one thing if he were just getting those deep targets and, you know, a few of them a game and uh, we weren't, he didn't have the volume. But with the the depth combined with the like 12 targets overall, I think is definitely an encouraging thing. And, uh, you know, we don't want him to be only a deep threat. So the fact that he's getting 12 targets is is nice. Um you know, I think you can probably have some of the same concerns with uh, one of our favorites on this team, LaVisca Chenault, who had seven catches, but only 50 yards. So basically like seven yards per reception. So, I mean, are his targets all too shallow for him to uh, really be a fantasy force? 
<laughs> well, hey, he did get uh, one rushing attempt, uh, which we can hang our hat on there. So potential <laughs> for extra production. Um, hey, nine, nine, nine rushing yards. His, uh, his, his uh, prop for uh, rushing total was uh, one and a half. Oh, All right. Really? Yeah, it was nice. it, it was pretty small because it made sense to keep it small. Actually, if you looked at it, it was pretty much in line with where you think it would be. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, get carries. Yeah, or well, if you got a carry and he got stuffed, or you know, you, there's ways that you can lose yardage too, right? So, yeah, yeah, yes, that's true. The 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 James O'Shaughnessy usage does have me on tilt, man, because that guy looks like <laughs> arbitrage Tyler Croft, like he's just another big headed baby looking guy. Um, so <laughs> just the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's always a question when you have these rookies coming in for their first game, like how much, how much can we really read into this first performance and how much, yeah. uh, how much does it really tell us? Do you think that we should be approaching this game from Lawrence with a little more skepticism than we would other week one games, Dave? Well, um, I, th- this is a tricky one. And, and I guess that in general, my answer would be that we shouldn't do that. Um, but I think that the reasons that you would have been concerned really for this whole team in general uh, were really highlighted today. Now, from a fantasy perspective, it's possible that that could actually allow Lawrence more opportunity to make things happen this year than he would otherwise have, uh, so it could work out for him. But I guess if you were concerned that Lawrence um, might not be able to make a lot happen on this team and that this team is going to struggle, there isn't any reason you shouldn't think that the team is going to struggle and then all of those negative side effects of struggling would be in play here. Uh, so for me... I am more concerned just about the fact that Lawrence is in Jacksonville maybe than the fact that he threw the three interceptions and had, you know, what would be a reasonable, you know, uh, first game in the NFL. We've seen many quarterbacks struggle in their first game in the NFL, go on to have fine careers and vice versa. You know, we've seen quarterbacks look great in the beginning and then things start to level out. Uh, But yeah, in general, you really shouldn't be reading too much into these games. Uh, and obviously it kind of sounds like you're, you know, I might be cherry picking some of these spots where I think that it's matching because it, it goes with some of my priors, but, um, you know, it's week one and, uh, we're supposed to talk <laughs> about it. So <laughs> those are my thoughts on some level. You do have to comment on certain things and, you know, the reality is maybe you really can't draw information from it, but what we're trying to do here is take the information that we do have and what, when you put it in with all the background information we have would make what feels like the, the best decision at the time. Yeah. And, and speaking of dealing with imperfect information, we've got uh, Ravens uh, offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, who was saying that Tyson Williams, he's done nothing but impress the coaching staff this summer. And it looks like he's actually going to be starting uh, on Monday night. Um, you know, this there was a season-ending injury to Gus Edwards, uh, which is really unfortunate. And then the Ravens overreacted and went out and brought in a um, – they signed a small army of veteran running backs, right? Uh, but, 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 but it does sound like uh, the, the Ravens will be giving Williams all the opportunity. Like, Dave, like what are you doing, doing with uh, Williams tomorrow? I think that if you have – 
Well, obviously, this decision kind of has been made. Um, but for me, I actually didn't end up with him on any of my redraft teams. But I think that if I weren't in a position where I was on a team that wasn't strong at running back and I had Williams, I would really consider putting him in. The timeline that the other backs that they've had uh, come in and the fact that most of that small army, I think, is actually not on the active roster um, I think that it's fairly safe to play him. We know that Baltimore is a team that is very good on the ground. Uh, we also know that in many cases, it doesn't matter too much who the specific back is that's playing for an offense. Uh, so I would actually feel pretty comfortable putting him in. The one thing that's interesting to me about them going out and signing all these running backs is with what we know now about running backs and things in the NFL, it just feels like an odd thing for them to go and get all of these all of these veteran backups, uh, like just go with the backs that like you had, like even, I don't care, like call guys from the practice squad and just go with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. I think, uh, like obviously you probably, if you, you know, by now you already have uh, decided whether you're going to start Tyson Williams or not, unless you have like him and Latavius. Um, but I guess, uh, if you're someone who, if you're someone who drafted Raheem Mostert or you drafted Sermon or Moss and you're worried about their usage going forward, are you looking to pick up any of these veterans who might still be on uh, on the waiver wire? Um, I mean, you know, we'll get a lot more information tomorrow night, but like, do any of these guys interest you? For me, I actually would have some level of interest in Latavius Murray because he's the player in that grouping that we've seen the most recent meaningful production from. Now, obviously, you know, playing behind Kamara in New Orleans helps with that. Um, but also the team kind of showed us, too, that they have the most faith in him. So he's the guy that I would be targeting. And as I would have expected heading into the season, I do think you have a situation where between their RB1, their RB2, and Lamar, they're all getting a decent amount of work. And it should be um, work that is of a quality that for a guy like Latavius Murray, he should be able to turn into some fantasy production. Yeah, I, I, I did. Uh, hell yeah, Henry. <laughs> yeah, that's Henry the there cat in the background. Yeah, you can hear him. He's saying, what's up? Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and I will, and the last thing that I do, I do want to touch on before we get out of here, uh, Josh Jacobs is questionable. Um, apparently, he trended the wrong way today with some kind of illness or the other. Um, man, so Kenyon Drake, I guess, is uh, looking to be a very, very interesting play, I guess, for playing tomorrow. But I was going to get your guys' thoughts on... Um, Henry Rugg season, do you think it's here or not? <laughs> oh, definitely. I'm all in on Henry Rugg season. Has to be. I mean, you know, even if you don't believe in his talent, uh, which I understand because he didn't have the, the most uh, compelling prospect profile. I'll grant that. But even so, I mean, they drafted him 12th overall. They're going to try and get him more involved this season than they did last year. So, um you know, he'll definitely have the opportunity, I think. Yeah, uh, I mean, we've seen situations before where teams have to throw to somebody. Um, the one thing that does concern me is Hunter Renfro, it's possible, actually could be the guy that they start to use. 
Having said that, though, I do think that you can make enough of a case of why Ruggs should be involved and actually could be pretty decent. You got Henry the Cat going in front of the camera, trying to knock it over. Pretty soon, he'll start hitting the mic. And I think when you start talking about Hunter Renfro and Henry Ruggs, it just makes sense that Henry the Cat is the one that you know gets in and starts mess- messing up uh, my train of thought here. He's all in on Henry Ruggs, of course. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Derek Henry and Henry Ruggs are his two favorite players. There you go. Oh, and Hunter Henry, of course. Hunter Henry, yes. Of course. Yeah, that's a, that's a Patriots fan in you. Yes, yeah. absolutely. A little bit of bias there. All right. Well, on that note, I think we're going to call it a night. So uh, thanks for joining us, Dave. You can find his work at Rotoviz. Follow him on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. Um, you're hosting the flagship show on Rotoviz with Curtis Patrick. Anything else we should know you got going on? Um, no, not me personally, but I can tell <laughs> remind, you. Remind me what the what the weekly articles you're writing are. I know okay. I should know them. So, yeah, you probably should. <laughs> so I'm doing a uh, weekly GLSP article, uh, which is going to take you through the projections that we put out using our GLSP process, which is a pretty cool uh, process. Within that, this year, I'm going to be trying to help identify the quarterback targets that make sense for that given week, so your streamers for that week, and then other players that you might not be expecting to be relevant, and then you know, kind of touching upon some of the guys that should really crush it that week, other guys that you might want to fade in your roster. Then later in the week, a uh, piece that I've been really excited about writing um, and making use of some of the new data that we have is doing piece on like uh, pass catchers versus the secondaries that they're facing, which is pretty cool to try to help us get a better understanding of the matchups that are going to be very hard on wide receivers or tight ends or ones that they should be able to exploit. And you never know, Blair, there might be one other thing that comes out here and there during the week. But beyond me, there's a ton of awesome stuff going on at the site. You don't have the sub yet go and get that, um, you know, just a ton of terrific articles, some new faces at Rotoviz this season that are going to be putting on a ton of awesome stuff. So can't say enough good things about the site and the, and the team that's going to be putting out the articles this year. And I just want to thank everyone who came out and hung out with us uh, on, on, on YouTube. Uh, we are going to be live every, every Sunday at 9 PM. So please come out, hang out, uh, ask questions. Uh, we wanted to be interactive. So we'd love to talk to you and I'm, Really, really happy football's back. Week one is in the books, guys. Let's uh, let's get it. Almost in the books. We still got to see what these. <laughs> so you got league winner Tyson Williams still out there. So uh, yes, let's get it. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks, guys. Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. 
all for an incredible value your wrists and wallets will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.